Sports Professor Rick Harrow, and we are on the record. Every week, this podcast will take you inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports, the top deal-making issues, the top tech issues, and the top social responsibility issues, plus a blockbuster interview with someone who you might not have heard from in the world of sports, but having a profound effect on its impact. Let's get started. Sports Professor Rick Haro inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports. It's a big week in North America. It's a big week in the world. The coalescing of the Final Four basketball and the Masters. Beginning of Major League Baseball season stuck in the middle of that. Brings us to our deal-making issues of the week. Three to one. Three. As far as basketball is concerned, St. Peter Shaheen Holloway heading to his alma mater, Seton Hall, on a six-year contract to be their head coach. The Pirates' career assist leader and star of the college coaching scene after taking Cinderella St. Peter's to the Elite Eight was the only person athletic director Brian Felt considered after Kevin Willard left for the Maryland job 10 days ago. If there was a surprise Thursday, Holloway was introduced in a tiny Walsh gym of about 1,000 people. The 15 players from his uplifting St. Peter's team were in his audience to applaud him. Says a lot about Shaheen, Felt said, of the Peacocks being there to celebrate their former coach. Says a lot about him. It says a lot. When he pours in, he gets back. It's marked the second time Felt has hired Holloway. He was St. Peter's AD when Holloway was, Holloway was hired. In 2018, Felt took the job at Seton Hall in 2019 and hired Holloway again Wednesday. Two. Number two, Kyrie Irving. Not sure about uplifting. Once he signed a five-year extension worth about $246 million, only a quarter of a billion dollars, to remain with the Brooklyn Nets. He had his eligibility to participate in home games restored, and with much of the focus placed on his home debut taking place against the Charlotte Hornets, his upcoming free agency has commanded some attention also. With the Nets choosing to table contract extension talks with Irving before the start of the season, speculation raised about his future with the organization only raised when the organization decided initially they were going to outright sideline him instead of allowing him to be a part-time player. Irving stated his desire to create a legacy in Brooklyn with fellow superstar Kevin Durant. Brooklyn currently locked into a spot in the play-in tournament, but Irving believes the team has a bright future. He said, it's always been about being comfortable, loving where I'm at, and I love it here. Once the summertime hits, I know that we'll have some conversations no way I can leave my man seven anywhere. Yeah, and a quarter of a billion dollars doesn't hurt. One. Baseball season opening. Los Angeles Dodgers star Clayton Kershaw joined the board of advisors for biomechanics analysis app Mustard. Kershaw supply live video coaching sessions to the mobile app aimed at training youth athletes. The deal with the three-time Cy Young Award winner was facilitated by MLB Players, Inc., and athlete licensing firm One Team Partners. The deal will enable Mustard to seek instructional content from more MLB players to add to its in-app content library called In the Kitchen, which will launch in April with sessions from Kershaw and Mustard co-founders Tom House and Jason Goldsmith. I believe that Mustard's connected coaching concept using computer vision is the future of coaching, Kershaw said in a statement. Instructional content from Kershaw 
and other Mustard partners will include tips on pitching mechanics, functional strength coaching, work ethic, and mental performance. Mustard analyzes smartphone video of players throwing motions, pitchers, its database of mechanics from professional pitchers to give personalized feedback and suggested training drills. Interesting artificial intelligence. They raised $3.75 million in seed funding in January. Investors include Lead Sports, One Team Partners, Drew Brees, Nolan Ryan, Mark Cuban, Justin Rose, Ronnie Lott, and the MLS Players Association. Pretty diverse group of people. Welcome to baseball season. That's deal-making issue number one. We welcome baseball season. We welcome the Dodgers. They are the host of this year's All-Star Game. Timely interview with president and good friend and book contributor to my sports business handbook, Stan Kasten, Columbia Law School at 27, the youngest GM in the NBA for Ted Turner and the Atlanta Hawks from 1979, 1987 Executive of the Year, four straight 50-year wins with the Atlanta Hawks, Dominic Wilkins had something to do with that, but it's also the Hawks, the Braves, the Thrashers, 87 to 2003, he had it going with Scherholz, also Maddox, Glavin, Avery, and Schmaltz, and obviously after the legacy in Atlanta, became the Nationals president in 2006 with the Lerner family, then in 2012, Peter Guber, Magic Johnson, Mark Walter, Stan Kasten put together $2.15 billion deal, 25% above the next last deal in Major League Baseball. He just turned 70, has a lot of work to do, stadium deal, winning a championship, World Series, and the 2020 Sports Humanitarian of the Year in the L.A. area, Stan Kasten, has a lot to tell us. Here he is. You were lucky enough, and, and by the way, this is a shameless plug to sell my book. You're just kind it's, of a pawn. Everything you <laughs> do is shameless, Rick. So. Thanks. Yeah, I, I kind of appreciate that. But you wrote in here, and, and I quote, opportunities often present themselves when you least expect it. Often don't give them away. Good luck doesn't get enough positive press. It's around us all the time. But I would add, I guess, by asking, luck is fine. Preparation is, is fine. But, but you have to put in the work. Uh, and you have to know what you're doing, and then lucky is just kind of cl- help you close the deal. I assume. Well, I think I think preparation speaks to that. Yeah, and preparation is more important than luck because, as you know, luck is the residue of design, right? And, right? and with enough preparation, you can make your own luck. You certainly can. I think you need breaks along the way, um, but if you put in the preparation, if you put in the work, uh, um, then you, you can make the right opportunities happen. In my case, I became a GM through weird circumstances and because there was nobody there right at that moment i was not a former player i I had not been a team executive for that long so i I had to work really hard because yeah i was the youngest gm ever but i I knew when i said this on that day it would take nothing for me to become the youngest ex-gm ever and i just was not going to let that happen well the interesting thing about that dynamic and i've talked to a lot of uh uh, maybe your mentees, but certainly you led by example. The presidents of a lot of the football teams in the NFL today: uh, uh, John McKay, uh, Mark Donovan with the uh, with the Chiefs, uh, Al Guido with the Niners. There are a lot of them who will say, "I really would love to figure out how to make player moves like fantasy, but I'm resisting the temptation because 
my title is president. What I need to do is to generate the dollars and let somebody else worry about being four and 12 one year and 12 and four another. I guess that's pretty good advice. But you did it in the late 70s, way ahead of the curve. Yeah, well, again, uh, back then, uh, the general manager was in charge of everything. So uh, that's what I was. And I spent a lot of time on both sides of the house, the business side and uh, the basketball side, um, and later on the baseball side. We uh, were responsible for everything that got me, I think, immersed in all of the details of running a franchise. But you do not see that very much anymore. You, it's rare you see anyone other than an owner over overseeing both halves of the organization. But it can work. It's worked in my case, but it's hard. It's rarer. And rarer and rarer. Well, and and the owner has pretty good job security unless he decides to sell the franchise. Because even though there are a couple owners out there who spend a lot of dollars on stadiums and teams and continue to be eight and eight, just for example, he's not going to fire himself. So we'll just leave it at that. Okay, he's not going to fire himself. We have a lot of other accolades to bestow or talk about with Stan Caston. Oh, great! Keep, yeah, keep coming. I'll, I love I'll those. keep coming. Let, let's, but let, let's get through the Hawks for a second. Uh, not only were you the uh, executive of the year consecutively in, in 88, I guess 87, 88, but uh, you uh, had four straight 50 win teams with Dominic Wilkins and the Hawks. Some would give credit to uh, uh, you. I prefer to give credit to Dominique, but I guess you kind of did it in tandem. <laughs> Is that probably right? <laughs> uh, that's fair. He deserves his share of credit. Yeah, that's why there's a statue outside uh, State Farm Arena because of it. So, yeah. And there's no Stan Caston uh, statue, right? There's a no, Dominic uh, Wilkins uh, statue. No, uh, no, there isn't. But I think I think of the whole arena as as part of my DNA since, since I was responsible for building it, and it turned out great, and I'm I'm very proud of that. So the segue to the Braves was interesting because uh, as that was the kind of second team. Uh, and I guess maybe the message on this one is uh, make sure you hire key executives and, and maybe get out of the way. And John Scherholz ought to have some credit for the Maddox, Glavin, uh, Avery, and, and Schmoltz uh, staff that was largely responsible for 14 straight division titles. Does that team or that organization get enough credit? I, I don't know. It, get, it gets a lot of credit for the consistency, which is not easy. I remember once there was another GM whose team was about to win their division for the second year in a row. And what he said publicly was it would be really special to win this year because that'd be twice in a row. And that's hard. And, you know, he's exactly right. It really is hard when you have 29 other teams of really smart, really dedicated, really talented people working 24-7 to beat your brains out. It's hard yeah. to stay on top to defy gravity because I think gravity is working on all of us in terms of baseball standings and to defy gravity for 14 years is, uh, I think a tremendous accomplishment. Well, and I'll say it, you don't have to say it, uh, but I'm sure the Atlanta fans, uh, you know, appreciated you, but got spoiled. You know, you wake up one morning and it's yeah. like 14. Yeah, here it comes. What, what have you done for me lately? Right. I, uh, I, I, I tell a story. A, a friend of mine who is a president of another baseball team was in town to deal with Coca-Cola. And he said, and it was the day after we won our ninth straight division. And he says to himself, well, if there's any city in America that it would be safe to listen to sports talk radio, it would be here in Atlanta. And he turns it on and he could not believe it because that day's theme was 
if they could only get rid of Caston, Sherholz, and Cox, then they'd really be good. So, yeah, that, <laughs> that just comes along with what we do. And um, as I always tell people who work with me, I remind them of the immortal words of Hyman Roth in that hotel room in Havana. This is the business we've chosen. And so that's all part of it. Well, it's a business you chose, but you probably didn't choose when you got in day one that you would be running the Atlanta Thrashers as number no, three. No. And, and you know, uh, yeah, they're going to be great, just like the Hawks and just like the uh, yeah. Braves. Well, something happened along the way. Uh, it was uh, <laughs> it was a bad idea from the start, which yeah. I told Ted. And I said publicly, Ted said, yeah. oh, you'll be great. You'll be the only guy running multiple franchises. I said, Ted, do you know why that is? It's such a bad <laughs> idea. But uh, as I also always say, Ted and I had this understanding where when he and I disagreed on something, we just did things his way, and it seemed yeah. to work out. Yeah. Why did the uh, why the Thrashers fail and then the Flames fail? Well, I don't know that the Thrashers failed. I think uh, by the time the new ownership got in place, I, I don't have to remind everyone of the that real mess they had internally amongst the yeah. different groups that were uh, partnering up to buy the team. And, and that was a real problem. Um, the Thrashers always had good attendances, better than the Hawks. Um, but, but there was no TV money for hockey yeah. in Atlanta. And that was really a big part of why the Flames left. But I thought the opportunities for the Thrashers were better. Uh, but this ownership group kind of ran out of patience, ran out of time, ran out of money to keep both franchises there and took the opportunity that they had. But uh, it, those situations are not the same. I think the Thrashers, with a little more time, energy, luck, and some money, uh, could have made it in the long haul because it was very popular, certainly as an in-arena product. It really was. If you look back on your triple header in Atlanta, and then we'll go to Washington, uh, would you say that the the it was really incredibly difficult because it was hard to juggle day-to-day -day responsibilities and prioritize, or it was absolutely a piece of cake because you knew how to do all of these functions and they were more similarities than differences with the team? Uh, um, no, I can't say it was uh, easy. Um, to the extent anything got done, it's one of my main basic tenets. It, it was done because we had great front offices. I thought all three had great front offices and, and they do the heavy lifting. Uh, I can set the parameters and the general guidelines, but the front office does the work. Uh, I would say it's interesting that at least on the talent side, there is almost no overlap among the three sports. And I, I, I put the three sports scouting operations together for a day to have a session, a summit, where we could talk about these things and there were almost no lessons to be learned <laughs> in scouting from one yeah. sport to the other. Right. But you can do business things. And um, the problem for me is that, you know, in baseball, there's a time when when you trade players, there's a time when you sign players, there's a time when you sell season tickets. When you're running three teams, it's every time of the year, every day, um, because, because the calendars just don't overlap. And so that was tricky, but again, it, it was the people in the front office that managed it. It wasn't just yeah. me. Fast forward to 06, let's get out of Atlanta. And we're now celebrating the birth of the Nationals. What was the hardest part of that deal, putting the group together with the learners, getting the stadium done, beating other 
expansion candidates out, remembering baseball kind of held that team and you had to do a deal with Major League Baseball? Combination of all that? Um, I think the stadium was not a hard thing uh, because that was done before the team got up for bid. The team was not going to come to Washington unless Washington had uh, delivered a stadium. So that was done. Um, uh, we made some tweaks, some important tweaks to the stadium, but that was not a problem. Uh, I would say going through the crucible of eight teams or more bidding, uh, and it was a set price, you had to be chosen once you agree to the price. And, and uh, I was with one group until at the end, it was clear my group standing on its own wasn't gonna do it, but then baseball thought, wow, Stan and some of his guys would be a perfect fit with the Lerner family. I, I had met the Lerner family and we actually got along well when we sat down to talk about it. They agreed and I agreed it was a great fit. And uh, and so we came together, but, but the whole, my gosh, was it a year, 18 months? It took a long time to go through that process. And that's, that's long to do anything. I do know when I won, uh, I won when our group yeah. won when you, the award won. of the team, um, it really felt like winning an Olympic gold medal or like winning a World Series because to do that for that long, come out on top, that was a whole event in and of itself. And then we got to work building the franchise. I'm not sure it, the Olympics might be a little uh, easier because the Olympics, uh, they don't have people uh, beating the heck out of you on a daily basis trying to capture your position. Well, uh, there's the IOC. We'll, we'll talk about the IOC <laughs> some other time. Another, we don't have time for that. But I get it. And people uh, probably don't, respect have any idea how difficult it is to emerge uh with a group structured uh in a city that is bidding for a franchise where you have a whole bunch of other stuff going on yeah. i remember the late great don shula who was a really good friend uh, failed at the opportunity to be the um the citizen who put the whole glue together bernie kosar was doing cleveland and he said that was the hardest thing i could ever do because i kind of represented myself as above the fray and people didn't call it the right time and all that so you know kudos has to be one of the more uh, uh one of the largest success stories for you in a whole in a whole sea of success stories well you mentioned that but as you're probably about to mention i also then did that another yeah. time and right. that was I will say the rewards were even cooler that next time. Well, let me tell you about uh, my perception and your comment about the uh, Peter Goober, but uh, Mark Walter and Magic Johnson uh, with the Dodgers. And you put that deal together and that was your deal. And the one thing that I guess people want to know is the bid ultimately came out published uh, publicly at $2.15 billion, uh, which was 25% above the next highest bidder. Uh, what did you see in that, and why did you go so high? Okay, a couple of things I want to say there. First of all, that 25% figure, remember, there never was an auction. We made a deal with Frank the day before the auction was scheduled. So the auction was called off. So don't you believe that the okay. second guy Good. would have been behind us at all? Because the second guy was Steve Cohen. All right, so that's number one. Good. Um, that's why we're doing this, by the way, so you can explain. Thank you. Appreciate uh, yeah, it. Yeah, okay. Um it was, um, it was, Mark Walter has the best answer to that. You know, why did we pay so much yeah. for it? The answer is because it was worth so much more. Right. I mean, and, and, yeah. and uh, that was our assessment. And uh, we didn't know exactly how things would fall into place, but we thought, here's what we were buying. We were buying 
an iconic brand in the second largest city in America, in the media and entertainment capital of the world, at a time that the brand was down on its luck, TV contract was expiring when rights fees were exploring. That's an awful lot of good things, good dynamics happening at the same time. And we thought with a little bit of hard work and effort and expertise, uh, we could make that pay off. And that's what has happened for us. The good thing about people who have the financial ability and the vision to spend large amounts of money to buy a significant trophy community asset is that they're going to do what it takes to support it and make sure it survives. And getting to, quick segue, the Dodger Stadium renovation is an exact example of what we're talking about here. Most proud of that, right? But talk a little bit about how that was done and what the end product looks like. Well, we uh, look, I've loved Dodger Stadium my whole adult life. The first time here was on my honeymoon, you know, which is Mm -hmm. how I remember my honeymoon. (laughs) (laughs) But um, it's the most beautiful place ever built to play or watch the game of baseball. But when uh, you look at a stadium that is now 60 years old, was 50 years old then, and hadn't really been changed. In fact, a lot of things hadn't been touched since uh, it opened. It needed a fair amount of work just in terms of back of the house stuff, in terms of facilities for the players, but really in terms of uh, front facing fan services. So look, we, we had the most beautiful stadium ever, but we had to make it a 21st century experience because more and more that's what our customers want. Um, it, it is never gonna be a new stadium, but I think now it offers uh, as I said, 21st century, century experience. We expanded concourses, we renovated bathrooms, we expanded the concession areas, uh, we lowered parking in, in the early years. We did all the things that fans really need um, and expect more and more, no matter where they go. So we did that in our first off season, we got it all done uh, before the second season started. And two years ago, we finished the most of the uh, customer renovations when we added this amazing two and a half acre uh, center field plaza. We now have a front door uh, to Dodger Stadium, which we never had before with all kinds of games and amenities and food and, and fan interaction areas. And when you enter Dodger Stadium, you are greeted by a statue of Jackie Robinson. And uh, in June of this year, it will be matched by a statue of Sandy Kovacs. That's how you're greeted when you enter the front door of Dodgers and we're very proud of that. And, and obviously you can tell your pride as you show the world, all of this, uh, uh, as kind of a coming out that would have happened, uh, but for COVID, uh, at the all-star game. So obviously preparations happening and, uh, um, people, as we tape this, people are aglow about Super Bowl 56, but they will be aglow about the all-star game, uh, in a couple of months. No question. You know, we're L.A. We're used to throwing big parties all the time. Uh, we have 45,000 people a night and more at Dodger Stadium. We consider that a big party every night. But it's certainly going to be a special uh, week. We call it All-Star Week. We have not had one here in 42 years. There's no rational explanation for why that is. But it's finally here. And we, we couldn't be more excited about it. And uh, we're all hard at work, but really looking forward to it. So just a couple of things about uh, the, uh, the, the the baseball season. As we as we tape this, uh, uh, there are a lot of things in the state of flux that will all get resolved in some context. Uh, the Dodgers always uh, at the high end of, of payroll. 
And your job, I know, is to make sure it's sustainable and it uh, it uh, bears fruit at the end. Uh, first World Series in 32 years, uh, more to come. Obviously, the dollars that you spend on payroll, you feel are worth it. Yeah, well, uh, we always thought that if we do the things correctly, if we uh, take the building blocks that I always talk about, the customer, the product, the brand, which is the team, the stadium, and our community relations program, our fans will reward us for that investment. And that's exactly what has happened. These are the most resilient and loyal fans that, that baseball has. It's why since the day we got here, we have led baseball in attendance every year. We've made Dodger Stadium the most heavily attended sports venue in the world. And, uh, and these fans appreciate the effort we put in. The, uh, the uh, payroll is just one, one aspect of it because we also lead baseball, I think, many people would say in player development and uh, generating players through the farm season. That's, a, that's one of my bedrock uh, principles. It was in Atlanta, it was in Washington, uh, and it certainly is here. The Dodgers invented scouting. The Dodgers invented player development. And uh, we've returned to a laser focus on that, and that has paid off tremendously in the support of our fans. Uh just parenthetically, what, what's your view on on Moneyball? I know you. It, it's uh, and, and I, I'm, I don't mean it as the movie, but but I mean the the, the oh. kind of the kind of movement. Uh, we all we've seen it a hundred times. I don't care uh, about about the movie. I do I do care about the the philosophy of uh, of uh, of scouting a player's heart versus scouting a player's numbers, and it's not either or, is it? And what, what's it, the philosophy? It, it obviously is not. I, I will say this: if if there is some team out there that only believes in one discipline and not the other, I'd like to play that team 162 times, you know, because yeah. they're giving up uh, an advantage that they could have. I do think it takes a healthy combination of both. Um, I started in the NBA as a young GM doodling my own stats with pencil because we didn't have databases and computers when I got started. Um, but it has gotten extraordinarily sophisticated. And uh, if you are not immersed in that, you are ceding an advantage to your opponent because everyone more and more is. And um, you can't do one to the exclusion of the other. I can talk at length about the shortcomings of, of a strict analytics approach or a shortcomings of a, of a strict non-analytical approach. But the point is they don't work well by themselves and you need to combine them. And you need a lot of people to do that. It's become more labor intensive. Um, but again, most people who do this for a living are in love with what they do. And so we've had no trouble getting really great, talented people, PhDs, who come to work in our front office. That's, uh, that's where we've gotten to. Those PhDs just want to come to work because they want to uh, intellectually joust with the master Stan Caston. So you know, I, I will say this. I, I said I... I, I Stood up in the middle. We have like a bullpen area with about 20 cubbies of where a lot of these guys are working. And I walk by and uh, I see the stuff on their whiteboards. And I'm telling you what. Uh, one day I stop and everyone up. You're just screwing with me. That can't mean anything. Because I say, I've been at this game so long. I know what everyone in the organization does. I may not know how to do it, but I know what PR does. I know what ticker sales does. I know what facilities does. I know what every department does, except this department. I have no idea what they're doing. 
but I know they're necessary. And we have people who run that who do know what they're doing. It doesn't have to be me. I just know they're necessary, so we went and got them. All those guys and gals want to hear is that you're not going to screw with them. <laughs> you should let them do what they want to do, right? What am I going to say? You know what? You know, but Stan, here's how the math works. No, how no. am I going to argue with uh, that? Forget it. Whatever you say. So the other thing that I found interesting, uh, kind of a final point, when we were looking at some of the key uh, elements of, of your history and the Dodgers history, 2020 Sports Humanitarian Team of the Year, the 50 ball fields, uh, that issue and the Dodger way, whatever that means, but it means a lot to you and it means a lot to the organization, must really emanate from the heart from you. It, it's incredibly important. When I talk to corporations, I emphasize that third pillar more than any other because it's often overlooked. But uh, our connection to our community in the corporate setting, I, that translates into brand. What does your brand signify to people? That's incredibly important for us. Uh, we have this 60 year history of being a part of this community. And so during the pandemic, when we were able to have the largest COVID testing center in the world, later the vaccine center, in the middle of that, we had a voting uh, center. We distributed over 3 million meals to, to, to uh, food insecure families. This is what the Dodgers are. It's why our brand remains strong. It's why our fans support us even in downtimes. We, we haven't had many downtimes since since this ownership has been here, but they would be here because the Dodgers are such a part of the fabric of this community. And without our work in the community, uh, that would not be the case. Then we'd just be one more item on a, on a shelf, buy it or don't buy it. But no, we're, we're something that fans here feel passionate about. I'm very proud of the recognition we've gotten for our work off the field. And listen, let's remember a lot of that is the contribution of our players who are themselves engaged in this community who uh it's as simple as autographs but it's more it's also showing up at at, at schools to do reading sessions it's showing up at grocery store openings and showing up at little leagues our players are fully invested and in, i talk to them every spring training on the first day of spring training about why this is important to them and it doesn't hurt that i have a partner who may be the all-time greatest role model for how to parlay a successful yeah. playing field experience into a career uh, long of success in business. And that's magic. It does not hurt that he's there when I'm making that point. Reflecting back on your many years in the industry, many, 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 many years in the industry. What is, <laughs> well, many, 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 many. It's, is, it, is there one tipping point, inflection point that you look back on and say, yeah, that was it? Well, I don't know what you mean. I've had many uh, things of which I'm proud of. I'm, I've, yeah. I've won two World Series. Some would say two and a half, but you know, those are both those are both uh, significant moments in my life. But you know, you know, the recognition that we get uh, from people that we are all in across the board that we are not just a team on the field, but we constantly strive to upgrade our stadium. We constantly work in our community to be able to do all of those things. And people recognize that. Um, so I'll say this, uh, I've, I've lived in great cities and great organizations, Atlanta and Washington, fantastic. But being here in LA uh, is the most fun I've ever had. It's the best thing I've ever done. It's also the most important thing I've ever done to restore uh, this brand to its former glory we are the franchise of Jackie Robinson and Sandy Koufax and Vince Gully and Tommy Lasorda and on and on and on. I could list a dozen names for you 
just their first name, you'd know who we're talking about. Uh, to be able uh, to do that is an extraordinary thrill. Every day that I wake up as a member of the Dodgers, every day that I drive into Chavez Ravine, every day that I walk into Dodger Stadium as a member of the Dodgers, I still get a thrill. And, and I think everyone who works for the Dodgers feels the same way. Uh, problem with our relationship and you, and you is uh, you're, you're not passionate enough. You, you're, you really, really, tell us how you really feel about this. But, you know, yeah. some, sometimes, you know, uh, um, I, I am passionate about the things that, that I care a lot yeah. about. I try to stay this side of the line of arrogance. I most often fail because I'm not trying to be arrogant. Uh, but when I feel this strongly about something, Sometimes they carry too far, but I, but I'm not trying to. I am passionate about. It. I am certainly passionate about the Dodgers. Trust me, as one who who lives and breathes arrogance, there is no arrogance in you. Absolutely none. <laughs> there is no arrogance in you. Final question. So you just turned seventy. What are you going to do for the next seventy years? Well, as I approach the midpoint of my career, I have to take a <laughs> I have to take a hard look. Good. What, Good. Thank God. What the next year's hold? But I. Uh, I uh, expect to be doing this for a while, and uh, I dabble in other things, uh, just enough to keep me interested. But being with the Dodgers is a full-time job. It's a full-time passion. And as I said, the most important thing I've ever done. Well, as a friend, I'm bright enough to know that you just let Stan Kasten speak for himself and, and what a speaker he is. How about the Sports Tech Minute? Seven new football club partners have joined ticket sales platform Project Admission for this season. The teams include... Austin FC, Houston Dynamo, Sporting KC, women's teams in Houston, Louisville, and USL, Louisville and Hartford Athletics. Team can, teams can integrate Project Admissions mobile software into their official ticket marketplaces, such as SeatGeek and Tickets.com. Software enables fans to view new discounted ticket promotions with an emphasis on group sales. For example, Louisville City uses Project Admission to offer a family bundle starting at 89 bucks, including four match tickets, four sodas, four hot dogs, and other things. They raised $9 million in seed money last year. Its seven partners join existing clients, Minnesota United, Portland Timber, New Orleans Pelicans, Cleveland Cavaliers, and others. That's your Sports Tech Minute. How about the Gaming Minute? We go to Arizona. The $500 million reported in revenue... About $522 million, vast majority through online apps, licensed to state pro teams, and Native American tribes. The monthly Department of Gaming report on results from the fifth month of legalized wagering on sports shows that 12 online operations and two brick-and-mortar sports books made just over $40 million after federal taxes. They gave away more than $20 million in free bets, and that left just $19 million subject to state taxes, which totaled $1.9 million. State levies an 8% tax on retail wagers, 10% on mobile app bets. The other betting legalized under the legislation, Fantasy Sports, saw 3.9 million in entry fees and profits before the state taxes of 431 grand. The state charges 5% on Fantasy Sports profits and brought in just over 21 grand. The numbers will be adjusted going along clearly. But that's your sports gaming minute. Finally, at the ongoing philanthropic perspective, the Good Sports Minute, as we look at what happens in the crowded world of sports philanthropy. St. Peter Shaheen Holloway, we mentioned earlier, all of his players 
come to his new gig announcement at Seton Hall. Again, raising significant dollars and the awareness all around New Jersey. Fox Sports hired Kevin Burkhart to replace Joe Buck as their play-by-play announcer. He spent years calling minor league baseball and eight years working at the 1,000-watt WGHT in northern New Jersey. A leading candidate to join him is Greg Olson. After a well-received rookie year, watch for those moves. Mano Ginobili, first ballot inductee in the Basketball Hall of Fame. Tim Hardaway, three-time WNBA champion and two-time gold medalist Swin Cash, five-time WNBA All-Star and four-time WNBA champion Lindsey Whalen highlighted the 13-member Naismith Hall of Fame class of 2022, not just about individual accomplishments, obviously about the whole world of the sports business. Finally, in an issue that is not just philanthropic, but it's awareness. Remember Iceland and how excited they were when they succeeded in soccer? Well, the North Macedonian prime minister offered the players of their national team 500 grand to split among themselves if they upset Portugal, 421,000 euros. Well, they lost 2-0, it didn't happen, but they did knock off Italy and kept them out of the World Cup. North Macedonia misses the World Cup as well. Portugal, though, ranked 59 places above them by FIFA, but the Prime Minister's promise most certainly gave them an extra incentive to end Cristiano Ronaldo's World Cup dreams. The bottom line is they were happy to be there. They were equally as pleased to feature the 2022 World Cup opportunity. The Ronaldo issue didn't work out as well as it could have, but the bottom line is it's important to understand that sports raises awareness as well. This has been an incredible week. We'd like to thank Stan Kasten for helping us open Major League Baseball and like to thank KISSCAM for being involved in this effort. You realize that as part of the overall Major League Baseball effort, really significant to let people know that KISSCAM has a relationship with teams in minor league baseball. Oklahoma City Dodgers, for example, turned on to new creative ways to keep fans engaged by partnering with them. They generated upwards of an 11% engagement rate, 9% during the course of three games at that Bricktown Stadium. They continue to grow and expand their reach across all leagues. The MLB season should shape up as being one of the best in recent memory, and Kiss Cam one of the best fan engagement opportunities in recent memory. We mention that as the pandemic keeps uh, focused more on a rear view mirror than what's coming ahead. So we hope that continues as well. Looking forward to Stan Kasten's opportunities in the All-Star Game in the future, obviously this next July. We'd like to thank you all for participating, Nick Nielsen for helping us put the show together, and everybody else involved in production of the show. Join us next time when we go inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports. Rick Haro, speak with you soon.